we're starting again to do, we're going to do this twice a year where we will take just the book of the Bible and we're going to go through the book of the Bible. Will it necessarily make sense where it's all like nice and fancy and put together? Maybe not because scripture doesn't always fall into a perfect uh, way of our understanding. In fact, when you're reading a book of the Bible, you'll often find that when you're reading it, that you're actually listening to one side of the conversation of a phone call, right? Because they're writing to somebody else or they're writing to a community. And so therefore, it's hard to understand necessarily what it is that they were talking about. Now, James was actually the half-brother of Jesus who didn't believe that he was the Messiah until he saw him die and then resurrect again. And he said, this is truly God. Now, eventually, he did end up leading the church in Jerusalem but he wrote this letter to the people who were the, of uh, the early Christian church that had dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. And as he took over this church, he found a lot of persecution was, hap- excuse me, was happening to him as well. To the point where they hated him so much that they dragged him up to the top of the temple. They threw him off the top. He landed on the ground, didn't die. So they took stones and they stoned him to try and stone him to death. Still didn't die. So then he took a club and someone clubbed him to death. That's persecution. But just before he went through that, he decided to write this letter to the Christian uh, diaspora that was spread throughout the empire. And he wanted to tell, he wanted to speak to them because they had left to go find the riches. And James is writing to them and he's getting up in all of their business, right? Getting up in all their business, getting, getting up in all their business. Well, how do you say it? How are they? They're getting up in their business, whatever way you say it. Because their life wasn't matching their faith in Christ. The way that they were living wasn't being matched with what they said they believed about. And, it, and he tells them how to live and walk in the light of Christ. Which is why today we're starting this series of the book of James called Living in the Light. And there are four topics that he actually talks about. And he talks about wealth, words, the world, and wisdom. Now, I'm Peter, so I always try and start with all the same letters, right? So we can all easily remember it. And he talks about these four topics. And we're going to quickly try and go through these to fit it in with the next 15 minutes. The first one we're going to look at is wealth. And this is what James says. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. Such a lovely verse, isn't it? For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way. The rich will fade away even while they go about their business. It sounds like James is saying that it's better to be poor, that actually being rich is a bad idea, that the rich are just fools and the poor are the esteemed one. Is that really true? Is that what he's saying? Is that the the issue that he's addressing, that having wealth is a bad idea? Well, here's a question for you. Do you think that you are poor? Or do you actually think that you're rich? Or do you think you're the one person who's trapped right in the middle, neither poor and neither rich? Well, let me give you some measurements based on the statistics of what it is to be rich or poor in the world. And it says the top 50% of the world's wealthiest have at least $3,500 of assets. So if you have at least $3,500 of assets, you can count your phone as one, because I know some of you buy these expensive iPhones, right? 
for $1,000 or $1,500. So there you go. You've got $2,000 to try and come up with to try and figure out if you're a part of the wealthiest in the world. So that basically tells us that we are actually a part of the wealthiest group in the world, everybody here in this room, even if you think that you're not very wealthy. The bottom 50% of the world live off of $2.50 a day, right? So when you have a perspective like that, you're like, hmm, Maybe we really are wealthy. So is this then James speaking to us and saying, we're wealthy, we shouldn't be wealthy? No, what James is doing is he's addressing an, itch, an, uh, sorry, an issue of the rich Christians treating the poor very badly. How so? Well, wealth can insulate you from others. It can stop you from interacting with poor people. It's very easy to do, especially if you live in a nice neighborhood or a gated neighborhood or you, you, you sit in your car and you go from your, your office to your, your home and you never actually have to interact with anyone that's poor. Maybe you don't even drive through the poor part of town. It's very easy for our wealth to insulate us away from the poor and the needy. When Crystal and I were in India years ago, we were in a hotel and uh, we were doing a conference out there. And as we were sitting in the hotel, the hotel had a, a, a restaurant that actually had a window that was right up against the street. And when we went, to, we got sat down at a table and these poor children came up and started just tapping on the window and asking for food and touching their belly and their mouths. And Crystal and I just, our hearts sunk. And we both just went, I'm not hungry anymore. And we just got up and we walked away from a table because we just couldn't imagine trying to eat a feast in front of starving children tapping on the window. That we were, our, 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 our wealth, our ability to be able to eat this food was an insulation of through a pane of glass away from the poverty that was in the world. And what James is doing is he's saying, this isn't good enough. Last week, there was a, a murder here, just not far from here, a few, a, a few miles from here. And a young guy shot somebody in the street and then he, uh, the, the police were called and he ran away, but he was hiding around a corner. And then the news reporters came and he came out around the corner and he shot the news reporter and killed the news reporter. And then he went into a house and he shot a mother and a daughter and, and, and this type of stuff is happening in our community. And I called up one of the police officers that I do know who's also a pastor and I said, what can we do? And he said, give us your building. We want to do a community meeting to actually try and talk about this stuff. We need to help people to cope with these things. Can we use your building? And I said, heck yeah, you can. You see, we can insulate ourselves in this room with half of the air conditioning coming in away from the poor, or we can bring them in here. We can bring those who are traumatized in here. It doesn't have to be poor in money. It can simply be poor in heart. We must make our best effort. James is saying this. He's saying Christians should handle money and people like Christ would. That's simply all he's saying. It's not saying you can't be wealthy. He's just saying you need to use it how Christ would. The second topic he, were, he talks about is the topic of words. And this is going to be quite a bit of scripture. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But what, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. James is addressing the issue of Christians' words and actions not matching the Word of God that they're actually reading. He uses the example of, it's like looking at a mirror and then forgetting what it is that you look like. What's the point of a mirror if you're not actually paying attention to it? What's the point of the Word of God if we don't actually pay attention to it and do something with it? You can hear James's rebuke coming through. A Christian's words should be controlled. Look at what's said online. Look at what's typed online. Look at, look what people say about other people and other situations and other politics and other areas of the country. Everybody has an opinion about something, but are they speaking truth with grace? That's what sets a Christian apart. Not emotion and anger. Maybe you're angry at the latest politics or something. So what? That's not your kingdom. Your kingdom is the kingdom of God. You're not of this world is what scripture says. And your words are like a pillowcase of feathers that you let out into a windy day and you can't get them back. That's what your words are like. I heard a story of a, a young boy who was having problems with anger and he would just say these angry words against his friends and his father said, I want you to take this box of nails and I want you to nail every nail into this fence as your punishment for how you're treating your friends. So he nailed it all the way into the fence and he said, these nails are like your words. They're stabbing the people that you love and they're stabbing the people that God has told you to love. Now, I want you to take all the nails out. So he took all the nails out and he said, now the fence is ruined because it's, it's, it's riddled with holes. He said, your words are like these nails. They're powerful. And sometimes you do have to use strong words but it better be because God has directed you to do it. And it better be that God has put grace within every one of your words. Paul is saying this. Paul is saying this. Christians must control their mouths. It proves that Christ is actually inside of them. That's it. Your words are telling the world whether Christ is actually inside of you. The third thing that he talks about is the world. And in James chapter one, verses two to four, he says this. Consider it, what does the word say? Oh, you sound joyful, that's for sure. <laughs> Consider it pure joy. Oh, wonder what he's going to say. He's gonna say something wonderful, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. What? Trials? Gosh, sounds like my mother. Be joyful in the Lord all times. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, testing, I don't want to be tested. I want it to be easy. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Bishop Robinson, I was having a conversation with him recently and he says this, don't trust a faith that's not been tested yet, brother. Don't trust a faith that's not been tested. People who don't suffer much don't grow much, right? That's why you do your kids a disservice when you're always trying to keep them from feeling pain. 
Let them feel pain and grow in the spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of, of, of this fruit that's called suck it up. Right? That's a spiritual truth somewhere in the scripture. I haven't found it yet, but. James is going, consider it pure joy. Are you out of your mind? Pure joy, not just a little joy or be happy in the Lord and sing some songs. No, pure joy to be persecuted by the world. That's what he's saying. It's one thing to endure it. It's another thing to take pure joy in it. And he continues on. He says, when you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and they are enticed. And after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. Here's the interesting thing. He's now just switched from the word test to tempt. Two different words. What's the difference here? A test is when someone wants you to pass. A temptation is when someone wants you to fail. That's why God doesn't tempt you, but he does test you. God won't keep you from hard times, and the devil will tempt you to fix the hard times by yourself, right? God won't keep you from the hard times. We need to know the difference. There's a difference between all of these things. Religion that God our Father accepts, he continues on. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's interesting because he makes a connection between the needy and the ability to resist the assimilation of the world's ways in our lives. Sometimes we can think that we are great Christians simply because we endure hard times. James is saying Christians endure hard times and do hard things, right? We, we suck it up when it comes to enduring hard times, but we also rise up and say, give me something hard to do, oh God. And then we run to where the place of neediness is and we go and be the hands and the heart of Christ. He is saying, let's suck it up in the name of Jesus. The last one is this, wisdom. Wisdom, you probably all know this scripture. It says in 1, 5 to 8, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must, not, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Now, if you go through difficult times and you're kind of blown by the sea and I'm being buffeted, surely God has sympathy upon that. And he's like, not in the situation where you need to be trusting me. Because he continues on with this. He says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Boy, that's a little kind of tense and strong words, James. Pastor Phil was telling me about a time when Pastor Mark and Pastor Phil went out on the ocean, which I think is a crazy idea. I know some of you love that. I'd rather stay on land, just my preference. And he went out in a boat and they're out, I don't know, five miles out or something, couldn't see land, middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. And suddenly the storm came up out of nowhere and they're like, maybe we should go in. And so they started heading towards shore, but the storm overtook them. And they said, I remember Pastor Phil going, I was pretty sure we were gonna die. And I'm like, there's the reason why I don't go out in the ocean. 
And he said it's a great reminder to realize how insignificant and weak we are when it comes to the ocean. But when it comes to God, we are weak with God, but we're not insignificant to him. When we are asking God for wisdom, we are meant to trust him that he is still a good God and not doubt that he's going to look after us. James is saying this, Christians turn to God for wisdom and don't take it lightly. We're in the hands of a very fearsome God. I have a friend who's a businessman who loves to mentor people in business. And when someone asks for mentorship, he'll give his time away for free. And he said, but the moment they stop taking my advice and applying it, when they're asking for it, he said, I send them an invoice. He said, because they're disrespecting my time. I wonder if there's moments in our lives where we're disrespecting God, where we say, God, help us out. Give me an answer, give me an answer. And then we just keep freaking out. We just keep doing things our own way but we're not waiting for God's reply, trusting that he's going to bring us good things. It's okay to have a moment of doubt or a moment of, of worry or fear and just like, what am I gonna do? But that moment better pass very quickly because James is telling us if we want to become firm Christians in the faith, we're gonna have to trust God in each circumstance that we find ourselves, regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in our lives, regardless of what it feels like in your situation. Amen. Father in heaven, as we trust you moment by moment and day by day, we're asking you to help our faith to become mature because we're not just called to do what we're doing alone today. Is this what we're doing right now. This is not it. You have greater things to be, that you're calling us to. You have greater things that you're saying, I want you to go to the, the lost, the last, the least, the needy, the ones that still need to know about me, who needs to know what my hands of comfort feel like, who need to know what the words of joy and faith and hope sound like, who need to see and feel my heart. I wanna do it through you guys, through Northwest Church. I pray, Father, you'd help us to become strong Christians in the faith, so that we can live out everything that you're calling us to. We ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. I love you guys. <laughs>